Hello and welcome to the official podcast of Solid Ground Church, where every week we share messages recorded during our weekly gatherings in Lewis, Delaware. If you have questions or if we can be of any help at all, please visit us on the web at solidground.church. Now, let's get to this week's message. We're so thrilled that you're guys, if you're joining us in person, obviously we're thrilled you're here too. And welcome to the 11 o'clock service, or as I like to call it, the wild bunch. Um, yeah. That's, that's a Baptist definition of wild bunch right there. So that is one guy. Woo. Okay, fine. Got it. Yeah. If you're Baptist, I'm so sorry. It doesn't like it's, it's all good. Hey, I need to I need to get rolling. Okay. So hey, I'm Bert. I'm one of the pastors here. Thanks for getting up. And uh, we are going to be continuing our study of spiritual gifts today. We've been going through uh, the book of First Corinthians, but we're going to take a pause on First Corinthians today because uh, it's Pentecost Sunday. Um, and Pentecost is one of the best Christian holidays. It does not get nearly the, the press that it should. We love us some Christmas. We love us some Easter. And those are great. Uh, but Pentecost is the birthday of the church. It's when we celebrate that the Holy Spirit was poured out on believers and God changed uh, everything. He like, moved the kingdom forward in an incredible way and he's been doing it ever since. And so we're really excited to get to celebrate that today and to uh, get the ball rolling. I thought I just, I'd begin with a little story. Um, so uh, to look at me, this may shock you to learn that I have never been in my life very athletic. I know, I know you look at me and you think linebacker, but I promise it's just, you know, it, I, I bless you. No, um, instead, uh, I, I was into two things. Like when I was a kid, I was really into uh, band and theater. I was a huge band geek. And uh, neat thing about like uh, the, the, the way the band room in the old K. Penlopen High School that I went to before it was demolished and went the way of Sodom, I guess, like no stone on top of the other, but um, it's, it's an inside Bible nerd joke. So anyway, um, like there, the, there used to be the band room where you had all these like, you know, like all the instruments and the kids would play. And then to the side, there was uh, the, the, the band teacher, director, he had an office right there. And, and if you were a super, super band geek, that's where you hung out, man. Like, like before class or whatever, right? Like you'd, you'd meet with your friends there and, and that just showed, man, you were in. And one day I, w- I, w- I was in. And one day uh, my, my and Sarah, who was also in, came in, and, and, and she had this like sort of dumbfounded look on her face. She's like, man, I had the weirdest experience at church last weekend. I'm like, what, what happened? She's like, oh, man, well, we got this guest speaker, and like, I mean, he came in, and he was talking about like how crazy the world is now, how we all need to like, band together as Christians to do things, and it just kind of, like, all of a sudden in my church, we're just kind of just, like, gripping the pews and leaning back. She's like, oh, this is weird, you know? And, and, and she said, like, it's this thing, too, of like, you know, like for us, normally when we go to my church, it's really like, it's nice. Like we go and it's safe and we hear a nice little story about Jesus and we feel better and then we leave. And, but it just, it really made me uncomfortable. And I get that because I don't know about you. Some, I, I've been uncomfortable before, like during a sermon before. I don't know about you. Like, don't raise your hands. I do this for a living and I preach to you. Don't tell me if you've been uncomfortable here, but like, <laughs> but okay. But, but I've been uncomfortable in sermons before. And I want to just like, maybe like, like what happens is, you know, like the subject matter takes us off guard and it just kind of like maybe throws our worldview for a tizzy. I don't know. Um, and, and I want to just up front say that maybe for some of us today, this is going to be one of those sermons where, where it's just, it's just going to get uncomfortable because we're going to approach the subject in a way that we typically don't, that I think is in keeping with Orthodox Christianity. But uh, it's, it's something that maybe we just don't talk about a whole lot or emphasize in the right way. And so 
Brace yourselves. I got a lot of scripture I'm going to be doing. And so if you're like, where do I turn today? Just look at the screens. Um, and, and, then, and then write down the Bible verses. Look at them in context on your own time. Uh, but we've just got too much to cover today. So uh, to get this going, I want to ask you a question. And, and, and here's the question I want to ask, okay? Why was Jesus able to do the miracles that he did? Now, don't answer out loud, but just internally, okay? Like, around there, why was Jesus able to do the miracles that he did? You know, you read the Gospels, they're certainly full of miracles. And if I were to ask you this, what most people would say is something like this. They would go, well, because he's God, right? Like, that's, that's how. I mean, like, he, he's God in a bod, right? Like, he came into the world, and, 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 and then he's walking, and doing all kinds of God things. So how is it that he was able to do those miracles? Well, duh, dummy, he's God. And I would say that's a well-founded understanding of Jesus' divinity, but that answer is absolutely wrong. And already we get uncomfortable, <laughs> right? And so, and so let me, from the jump, affirm two things so that you don't think I'm a heretic, okay? Because if I don't, you're gonna be like, burn that place to the ground, like, let's, let's, let's never go there. So two things that Christians have always believed, that I believe, that this church believes. And so if at any point today you think I'm not saying any of this, refer back to these first two things. I'm gonna affirm about Jesus. Number one, Jesus was fully God and fully man. This is what we believe as Christians. We believe like it's in John 1, 1, the word was with God and the word was God, that Jesus Christ is God himself wrapped in human flesh, stepped into the world. Yes, Jesus was fully God, but he didn't just appear. Like he wasn't like a spirit. Instead, he, had, he was a fully man, that he had full humanity, that oddly enough, and we never talk about this, Jesus had to use the bathroom sometimes, okay? I thought that like he got hungry, he got sleepy, like, okay, like, and fully God, also fully man. Why both? Because Jesus is our mediator. He is the one who intercedes to God the Father on our behalf. So if he doesn't come from our ranks, he can't speak on our behalf. Fully God, fully man. The other thing that Christians have always believed, that I also believe, that this church also believes, and it's our doctrinal statement, but let me just, again, say it up front to cover my bases. Jesus was always God and will always be God, Okay? He was always and will always be. Now, this is important because sometimes uh, heresies have come up in, in Christianity and, and like, so they'll say things like this. They'll be like, well, listen, Jesus didn't become God until he was baptized. And so like before then, he was just a regular human being, but then God made him God the Son at his baptism. And we would say, no, like the, the child's name is God, God with us, right? Emmanuel, like he was always God. This is not a one day he like something clicked and he became God. Like he went super saying, no, like he has always and will always be God, okay? So with all that in mind, here's the thing to sort of chew on a little bit, all right? If Jesus was always God, why didn't he do any miracles till he was in his 30s? You ever think about that a little bit? Like, okay, like he, he, he steps into the world, right? But, but the gospels are absolutely clear. Like Jesus doesn't start doing the miraculous stuff until he's at least 30, I mean, was he bored? Was he playing PlayStation? Like, what's going on for the first 30? That joke, stay with me, 11 o'clock. You're louder than that. And, that. and that was a better joke than you gave me credit. So look, um, no, like he, like what was it? My wife is just shaking her head on the back row. Like, she, she, you should have screened that by me. I'm sorry. So like, okay. So what was he doing? Well, all four gospels pinpoint the moment the miraculous started with Jesus. 
and it's this understanding that's going to help us understand some things about spiritual gifts. Now, I mean, seriously, all four Gospels, like all four of them, and the Gospels, each Gospel chooses to include and exclude different stories, but this is a story that is in all four Gospels, and so to sort of dig into the Scriptures and, and begin here, I thought we'd read Mark's account, because Mark is the earliest of the Gospels, and it tends to be very, very blunt, direct, and quick. And so here's just a snapshot overview of what happened. So in Mark chapter 1, starting verse 9, it says this, in those days, and fun fact for you, Mark begins with like this moment. Like Mark doesn't like even care about like Jesus being born or his childhood. Like that's how like Mark wants you to see something. All right, so look. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John the Baptist in the in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the and just highlight this phrase Spirit descending on him like a dove. So the Holy Spirit comes down onto Jesus. Verse 11, and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Okay, so in this moment, you have all three members of the Trinity together and present in one place. There it is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit right there. But look at what happens next. So it's not a thing like the Holy Spirit just descends on Jesus and then goes back up into heaven, which is what happened in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit in the Old Testament would come down on a person and then leave. But the Holy Spirit remains with Jesus here. And so look, verse 12, the Spirit immediately drove him, talking about Jesus, out into the wilderness. And the Greek there is sort of, he's thrust forward or cast out into the wilderness. Verse 13, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. Because fun fact for you, I don't know if you know this or not, but usually whenever you have a spiritual high, the enemy attack is right after, isn't it? Like, you do, like, like the Lord begins to birth something new in your life, and you better brace yourself for a sock in the gut, okay? And we see it right here in Jesus. He's been baptized, like Revelation of the Trinity, and now he's right out into the wilderness. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Verse 14, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And we've been talking about this before, how like kingdom of God, this isn't a phrase that means heaven. Like I mean, we, still, we did a whole talk on this year. Like the kingdom of God is God's work in creation. It's God's restoration of the fall through Jesus. So like, why is it that Jesus heals the sick? Well, because sickness is an effect of the brokenness of sin in the world. Not saying that if you're sick, you've sinned, but like, like we've all inherited a broken world. And so Jesus begins to undo the fall. Like why does Jesus raise the dead? Because death is an effect of the fall. Why is it Jesus like forgives and cleanses sinners? Because sin is an effect of the fall. And that's the kingdom of God. Like, like why is it that Jesus casts out demons? Well, because demons have been allowed to reign in certain places because humanity handed over the earth to Satan. And so Jesus is taking it back from him. Okay, that's the idea of kingdom of God. It's not just, hey, like we all get together and we sing kumbaya and we feel great and we're Christians together and we like, like church is the kingdom of God. Well, church can be part of the kingdom of God, but the kingdom of God is the movement of God on the earth that is restoring creation. So when Jesus says, listen, the kingdom of God is here, that's when the miraculous and the supernatural stuff begins with him. Well, how did all that start? It started at his baptism, didn't it? It started when he was baptized and the Holy Spirit came down on him. And the very next thing that happens is the Holy Spirit begins to move and lead Jesus. Okay, now here's why this is important. Because many of us, we operate out of the fallacy of believing that Jesus did all this stuff because he was God. Essentially, we think, okay, and so, and so we remove ourselves from it because we go, listen, he did stuff we could never do, right? Because, because he's God, and so, like, you know, basically he's God, and so he steps into humanity, and he's basically got a, a God cheat code. 
right? And so, like, like what, um, right, but don't we think that, though? Like, we think, okay, like, listen, like, Jesus, he's walking on the earth, and he's doing all these things because he's God, and he can do whatever he wants. And here's the thing to understand, okay? If you're taking notes, write this down. The fully God embraced being fully man. In other words, okay, the fully God embraced being fully man. In other words, what this means is Jesus intentionally limited his own divine power and chose to live life as you and I live it. Okay, this is big, okay? Because what this means is Jesus, if he's gonna represent us, he went through the full highs and lows, the full joys and miseries of the human experience, and he never cut a corner. Like, why is it that Jesus, as he's walking in Jerusalem, that's occupied by the corrupt Roman government, he never ousts the Romans? Because there are people who experience corrupt governments that they can't oust. Why is it Jesus has friends and loved ones who die, and he lets them stay dead? Like, his own father dies. Joseph is not in the Gospels. Jesus is never like, nah, I don't think so. Let's get him back. Why? Because he experiences the same hardships and sufferings and sorrows that we experience. The fully God embraced being fully man. And in case you think I'm making this up, this is Bible. The Apostle Paul writes about it like this in Philippians 2, verses 5 through 7. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, again, to affirm, being in very nature God. Does the Bible ever call Jesus God? Yeah, and there's an instance. More than once, several, lots, okay? Being in very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. In other words, Jesus emptied himself of his divine power that he has as God the Son and chose to live a limited human life. So why is it he does the miraculous in the Gospels? It's only when the Holy Spirit comes upon him. Because you and I, what's the only way that we can do the miraculous and the supernatural? It's the power of the Spirit. Like, we're just, we're just human beings. That's all that we are. And so what we find in the Gospels is Jesus begins to perfectly live that out in ways that we never could. Because Jesus, listen, Jesus was faithful to God where you and I have never been. Like we've sinned, there are times we don't walk in step with the spirit, but Jesus did it perfectly. Again, I know this is really controversial, like because some of us are like, oh my gosh, heretic on stage. Let me just, again, affirm, this is what Jesus taught. I'll give you an example, okay? So like there's a story where Jesus is casting out demons and the Pharisees accuse him of, listen, the only way that he's able to cast out demons is he's like, he's working for Satan, the prince of demons, Right? Okay, and here's Jesus' response. He goes, no, no, here's how I have the power to do that, Matthew 12, 28. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Okay, how is it that I'm able to cast out demons? The Spirit of God. And look, this isn't unique to Jesus. Like from the very beginning, his followers had this understanding that that's how Jesus did what he did. Again, is he fully God? Yes, okay? But the power that he operated in was not the power of God the Son, it was the power of God the Holy Spirit. Like, look, first presentation of the gospel to Gentiles ever, Peter at the house of Cornelius in Acts 10. Look at how Peter breaks this down, appealing to people who had lived through Jesus' ministry. He says this, he says, you know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism John preached. And we just read about that. Verse 38, how God anointed, and just highlight that word, put a pin in that word, 
anointed Jesus of Nazareth. That word anointed, um, it, it's Old Testament language, right? Like, like, or even kingship language. Like what would happen with the king is they would pour oil on them, right? That's anointing them. And the oil was symbolic of the presence of the Holy Spirit. So the idea of Jesus being anointed with the Holy Spirit, the idea is that the Holy Spirit has been poured out on Jesus. And so God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Okay, so if Jesus was only doing this by his own godness, why is it attributed to the work and power of the Holy Spirit? But it clearly is. Fun fact, let's take it a step further. Um, th this thing that where he says, like, listen, what Jesus, like Jesus going around doing good. How does Peter define that? By healing the sick, casting out demons, right? Like, and so, so I, I just bring this up to say, um, sometimes people, they think, okay, like when it comes to kingdom of God, that's just sort of like, you know, isn't this nice? Like we all feel nice, like kingdom of God, and isn't that great? Or it's heaven. And, and, and like here, the scriptures are clearly linking the kingdom of God with wreaking hell on the kingdom of hell, Right? Like, they're basically, like, like it's Jesus, like, like curb-stomping Satan, like, that he's, he's winning. He's knocking down the enemy, right? Like, they're basically, he's healing, and he's doing all these things. He's undoing the fall. Like, to, to Peter, that is what the kingdom of God is. That's what it does. And how is he able to do it? Well, Peter says, because God was with him. Well, that doesn't make any sense. How is God with God? Well, it does make sense if he's emptied himself of his divine power and is instead operating in the power of the Holy Spirit. That makes a lot of sense. And look, so if you're taking notes, here's the thing I want you to understand today, and we're going we're gonna to come back to it a couple times, but here's the idea, okay? And this is what we're seeing in the Gospels, what we're seeing in Acts, and the rest of the New Testament. God the Son intentionally limited himself to act in the power of God the Holy Spirit. Let me say that again. God the Son intentionally limited himself to act in the power of God the Holy Spirit. Now, again, does this make me revere Jesus less? No, it makes me revere him more. And the reason it makes me revere him more is because what it means is that, listen, the infinite God who could demand any and everything of us, the infinite God who is all-powerful, like he could do whatever he wanted, and yet out of faithfulness to you and me to accurately and completely represent us, he took on the fullness of humanity and then died for your sins and mine. He could demand anything, but instead he emptied himself completely. He didn't cut corners as being a human being. And that's not a small thing. This wasn't a thing of like, you know, like God kind of looked like us, but he's got cheat codes and makes it work a little bit better. No, like he fully emptied himself out of love for us. Let me, let me just, I, I can't hammer this home just a little bit more. I just need you to see it because there's an application for us that I don't want us to miss, okay? So we, we saw how like Mark has this sort of general flyby. Jesus is baptized and then he's tempted. The gospel of Luke gives us way more details with what happened while Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. And look at how Luke describes this encounter. In Luke 4, starting in verse 1, it says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, and just put a pin in that phrase. We're going to come back to that because that is a phrase that is used for believers over and over again. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was, did he just decide to walk out there? No, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So, so like, like, I mean, what this means is, okay, like Jesus isn't going, you know, I can do anything, any, any way that I want. Instead, he goes, I'm going to go the way that the Father wants me to go. 
I'm not going to live under my will. I'm not going to live under my way. I'm going to walk in perfect obedience to the Father. Even that means if I walk out into the middle of nowhere, I'm starving for a while. Now check that, because here's the difference between Jesus and us. He was faithful where we have been faithless, without fail. All of us have sinned. All of us have disrupted relationship with God. He lived it out perfectly and never sinned and never gave in to temptation. So Jesus is led out into the wilderness by the Spirit. Or look at this, um, verse 2, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days. Why? Um, I'm sorry. And at the end of them, he was hungry. Why was he hungry? Because he's fully God and also fully man. If you don't eat for 40 days, you will be hungry. I don't know if you know that or not. Okay. At least I would be. Okay. All right. So, but but here's the thing. Pay attention to to what happens next with the temptation. Look at the way that Satan tempts him. And so he says in verse three, the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. In other words, hey, you're hungry. Take up your godness. Right now, you're, you're the son of God. You could do it. Go ahead and just make that. I, you're clearly hungry, man. Why don't you just use some God power of your own and just make the bread feel or fill your stomach? But here's the thing. If he does that, he's not living as fully man. And so he can't represent us. And so, and so here's how Jesus responds. Verse four, Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. And that's Deuteronomy 8, 3. Okay, now the other half of that verse is, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. In other words, hey, there are more things in life, that are, there are things in life that are more important than food. What's more important is what God says to do. And so he, Jesus, even though he's hungry, he's going, I'm going to be obedient to my father forever. Now, think about the, the, the implications of this. Like, look, for you or for me, imagine, imagine, you had all the power of God himself. Would you use that to be completely selfless? I wouldn't. Look, a number of years ago, there was a movie that came out starring Jim Carrey called Bruce Almighty. Remember Bruce Almighty? Yeah, remember that? Like, it's, a, it's, a, it's a modern fable, I guess. Like, I'm, not, I'm not condoning everything in the film. We're not going to show it here. Okay? I always have to like, like cover all those bases. Are you saying that this is, I'm not saying that's, that part's okay, but just look, here's the, here's the, like the, the general synopsis of Bruce Almighty is uh, Jim Carrey's character, Bruce. He, he believes that, you know, like life isn't going his way. He thinks he can do a better job of being God than God. So God shows up in the person of Morgan Freeman. And he says, well, listen, if you think you can do a better job than me, here's all my power. Go ahead and give it a shot. And what does Bruce do? I mean, like, he parts traffic like the Red Sea, right? I mean, he, he uses his power to humiliate a rival at work and further his career, right? I mean, like, it's these incredible selfish things. Let's just say that. Like, listen, they, I, I've been stuck in traffic. I, I live in Delaware in the summer, okay? I know what that's like. I would love, come on, how many times, like, if I'm driving to downtown Rehoboth, would I love to just be like, no, right? And all the cars, like, go out of the way. Wouldn't you want that? Okay, but check this. According to what we're reading here, Jesus did the exact opposite. He could have done any of it, and he gave up all of it for you and for me. And so I want to just reiterate this, and if you didn't write it down before, please write this down if you're taking notes. God the Son intentionally limited himself 
to act in the power of God, the Holy Spirit. This is why you find all these instances in the gospel where Jesus does stuff that really makes our head, like we scratch our heads if he's fully God. Like they're, you know, like he's, he, they're asking about like the end of the world and they're like, Lord, when are you coming back? And he's like, I don't know, only the Father knows. Well, how could that be? Isn't he God? Yeah, he is God. But he's intentionally limited what he knows. He's emptied himself to humanity. So he doesn't know everything in the Gospels. And I know that, that gets me in trouble, but like, like he chooses to not know everything. Like there's a story where a lady, uh, she, she believes, like she has an issue of bleeding. She believes that if she touches Jesus' clothing, um, that she'll be healed. And so she approaches him in a crowd and there are a bunch of people pressing into him. And she touches his cloak, right? And, and Jesus like stops because she's healing. He says, he felt like power went out of him. But how does he respond? He just starts looking around, doesn't he? And he goes like, who touched me, right? Because he doesn't know. Why? Because the fully God emptied himself to operate only in the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, not too long ago, I was talking with um, a Muslim guy, and, and, and he was trying to make the case that, that Jesus wasn't God, and he would use misunderstandings of these stories. And so he would say, like, listen, like, Jesus is praying to God. That clearly shows that he isn't God. I'm like, no, what you don't understand is that he took the very nature of a servant. He emptied divinity to walk with us. It's not that he ever stopped being God is that he chose to live a life completely surrendered that you and I have never lived. Which leads us to the whole thing we've been talking about over the last several weeks. Because here's the implication. If Jesus, in all the Jesusness and all the stuff he's been doing, all the raising the dead and casting out demons and, and doing the miraculous and healing the sick, here's what this means for our conversation of spiritual gifts. Because if Jesus has been anointed with the same Holy Spirit that we have, and I'm going to argue that in a minute, Here's the implication. Jesus is our model for spiritual gifts. Let me say that again. Jesus is our model for spiritual gifts. If I want to understand what I should expect when I pray, I look at how Jesus did it. Why? Because he has given me his standing with the Father through his shed blood on the cross, his resurrection from the dead and his ascension into heaven. If I want to understand what it means in terms of, okay, like, what, what is prophecy? And what is, you know, uh, a word of wisdom? Like, what, like what, how does that work? I look at the life of Christ because he has perfectly lived what you and I have not. And he's chosen to show us the example of God's kingdom going forward in a human being. Now, look, he's the model for expectations for this. The story I love, um, there's a guy years ago, his name was John Wimber. John Wimber, I wrote a couple books of, of note, uh, Power Evangelism, Power Healing. He was the founder of the Vineyard uh, Movement of Churches. Um, they kind of spread all over the place. Um, and Wimber was known for bold prayer for healing for folks. There are stories of him going in airports and seeing deaf ears opened and blind eyes. Like, just like God moved powerfully uh, in his life and ministry and those uh, around him. And there's a story uh, Wimber used to tell of uh, when he first came to Christ and he was, uh, he, he was beginning to read the New Testament. He had no background uh, with any of this stuff. And he was reading the New Testament and he loved the Gospels. And he's reading about Jesus and he's like, man, like, I love that story of like, you know, him dividing fish for everybody and him, him healing people. Like, this is awesome. And so one day, uh, you know, he started going to church and um, he went to uh, the church leader there and he was like, all right, so uh, so when do we start doing the stuff? 
And the church leader goes, well, like, what do you mean doing the stuff? And he's like, well, you know, like, he said, like, what I thought church was, because I had no background with it. He said, what I thought church was, was um, basically you'd read uh, something about God, you'd pray, and then you'd go do miracles. That's what I thought church was. He goes, so I go to the church leader. I'm like, so when you start doing the stuff? And the guy's like, well, like, what stuff? He's like, you know, like healing people and casting out demons and stuff. Like, when we start doing that? And the guy was like, well, we don't, we don't do that. He's like, well, what, what do you do? And he goes, well, we just, we read about it, and then we believe that it happened. He was like, you mean to tell me we don't get to do the stuff? He said, look, well, I work for Satan. He let me do his stuff. <laughs> Why did he have that understanding? Because with an unfiltered reading of the Gospels, he could not help but conclude what I've been saying to you, that Jesus is our model for spiritual gifts. He is. And so the question becomes, okay, how can I say that? Isn't, isn't that kind of bold if I'm telling you Jesus is our model for spiritual gifts? Like, that's kind of, like isn't there something in us that it sort of feels like a delusion of grandeur, doesn't it? He said, like, I could pray with that kind of faith and power and boldness that, that Christ himself prayed with. Um, and yet, here's the crazy part. I can tell you that because it's what Jesus taught. Look, I keep bringing up this verse here because it's just so overlooked and glossed past. This is what Jesus said in John 14, 12. He says, very truly, I tell you, meaning, guys, I am not lying. Whoever believes in me. Who? Whoever. You mean people who aren't Billy Graham or Mother Teresa? Yeah. You mean people who haven't been fasting for six years? Well, I mean, that's probably an, uh, an eating disorder, but yes. That's a stupid joke too. Look, all right. Whoever believes in me will do the, the works I've been doing. What has Jesus been doing? Hasn't even reading people's spiritual mail and telling them about things that they could, like that he couldn't know. Hasn't even redeeming sinners. Hasn't even cleansing lives and bringing people to spiritual life. Hasn't even like creating new destinies for people. Hasn't even healing the sick and raising the dead and casting out demons and doing the miraculous. Like who would read the gospels and not say, "Here's the stuff Jesus has been doing." And he goes, "Whoever believes in me." will do the works I've been doing. And then look at this. And they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. In other words, hey, my time here on the earth like this is just about done and there's more to do. Like they're, you're gonna reach a greater number of people. You're gonna do more things than these because I'm going up into heaven. Now listen, I, here's the crazy thing. How can that be true if it doesn't rest on Jesus being anointed with the Holy Spirit? Because we're not God. And yet he says, listen, the stuff I've been doing, you're going to do. Well, that can't just come out of his divinity as God the Son. It has to come from the power and presence of God the Spirit. And so guess what happens? We go forward into the book of Acts on Pentecost, the day that we're celebrating today. You have Jesus' disciples huddled together in an upper room and they're praying because Jesus told them, don't do anything until this happens. And it says this in Acts 2, starting in verse 1. But when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven. And the symbolism here. Um, so uh, in, in New Testament Greek, the word for spirit is 
uh, Numa in Old Testament Hebrew, the word is ruach. Both of it has to do with the connotation. Like they associated spirit with sort of breath or wind. And so when you have this moment of like a violent wind shakes, it's this idea of it's an abundance of presence. It's not just a little, you know, like, no, like it's so, like it's just powerfully showing up. Like the, the, the very breath, the very spirit of God is just filling this place abundantly so, okay? And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Verse three, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Now remember before how the, the, the spirit came down on Jesus and he came to rest on him in the form of a dove. Now the, the spirit comes and rests on them. Like the spirit not just sort of given and goes back up. No, no, resting there, staying there. Okay, and why is it versus like, like tongue of fire versus uh, dove? It's, it's a whole other talk, but just, just catch this idea that like the same spirit given. Now look at this, verse four. All of them were, and look at this phrase, filled with the Holy Spirit. Now remember, what, what did Luke 4 talk about Jesus as, as he leaves the Jordan after he's been baptized and the Spirit comes down here? Remember what he said? Jesus, full of the Spirit? Here it is, right here. Unbelievers, filled with the Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. It's the same language. Okay, like the Holy Spirit comes upon them and immediately the supernatural starts to happen. Okay, so what do they do as a result of receiving this Spirit? They do the stuff. They do. They start praying for, for the lame who can't walk and seeing them walk. They, they start raising the dead. They start casting out demons. They start prophesying. How did that happen? Because the same spirit that was on and in Jesus now is on in them. Which means the following. If you believe on Christ, his word is true. Whoever believes in me. Okay. So that means that same spirit that was on, him, on and in him on and in them is on and in you. You. Because here's the thing. The church is the body, physical representation of Christ. And it doesn't mean that you'll have every single gift that Jesus had. No, no, he divvies them out among believers. And the reason he does this is that we all need each other. We all work together so that no one person is glorified in a way that's unhealthy. No, he distributes the gifts among all of us. Why? To advance the kingdom forward. Why do I believe that every gift that is listed in scripture is present here within Solid Ground Church among our ranks. Some we see, some we have yet to see, but we'll see. Why do I believe that? Because this church has been established as an outpost to advance the kingdom forward here in Sussex County, in Lewis, in Rehoboth, in Milton, in Millsboro, in Harbison. Like We've been established here to move the kingdom forward. And so we should not operate with anything less than the expectation that the same spirit is doing these things through us. This is a given in the New Testament. Like, like when you find this coming up, it's always like, there's like the teachings on this, the authors of the New Testament epistles, they just appeal to it. Like they assume their people they're right to already know this. Like I'll give you an example. Like here's how Paul writes about it in Romans 8, 11. He says, the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. 
Do you know that same spirit who literally reanimated the dead body of Jesus is in you. The same spirit who did the greatest miracle ever is in you if you believe in Christ. If you believe Jesus died for your sin and arose from the dead, if you've handed your life over to him, you've turned from your sin, you've turned to him, that spirit is in you right now. And Paul just goes, yeah, duh. I mean, that's not even his central point there. He's just referring to it in passing. Again, look, 2 Corinthians uh, 121, he does it again. He just goes, listen, now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. And look at this phrase. He anointed us. Anointed. Wait, just how Jesus, the Son of God, was anointed to do the works of the Father? Yeah, the same way. Like the Spirit's been poured out on you and me. He's, he's, he's writing to people who are in a church in Corinth, which as we've been reading about, not the greatest people, but they're Christians. They're Christians. Again, uh, the, the apostle John writes about it like this in 1 John uh, 2, 27. He says, as for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you. Why? Because it's not sort of up and down, up and down, up and down. If you receive the spirit, he is there, he is there, he is there. The same spirit that has empowered Jesus empowers us. Do you know why? Here's why. I heard this at a conference one time. I just loved it. So I just wanted to say it to you today. I think it's Sam Storms. He said it like this. Uh, There's no such thing as a JV Holy Spirit. You get that? There's no such thing as a JV Holy Spirit. Sometimes we think like, okay, like a little bit of Holy Spirit. Like there's the rock stars over there, but then there's me. There's no junior varsity Holy Spirit. There's no Holy Spirit for people whose parents tell them to keep playing even though they're not any good at it. By the way, if you're in JV, you did way better than I ever did. So I'm not like knocking you. Okay. My, my point is just simply this: like we sort of think that like the the crazy activity of God is for them over there. But what I'm telling you is, if you have Christ, it's for you too. Why don't we see it? Because um, we have no expectation of it. We don't. We think, we think the most ridiculous things. We think things like, okay, if I just scrub myself a little bit cleaner, then maybe God would want to use me. Don't you know that you are as clean as anyone can be through the shed blood of Christ? Like, like no, you're already in. He's already, like, your sin's already been dealt with on the cross. It's done. If you're waiting for that moment where you're perfect, good luck. There's not been a man or woman in the church who's ever fit that bill. Only one ever did was Christ. And he's giving you his standing with God. Why don't we see it? Why don't we expect it? I think it's because we have been taught our entire lives this neutered version of Christianity. It says it was for then, and I believe then, but not now. Like, what is our expectation with Christianity? How do we gauge whether or not God is moving and working? Don't we just do things like crazy like this? Like, okay, how do I know I'm growing in my faith? Well, I know some more things. So did the Pharisees. Oh, well, like, okay, I know some things, and also I've got better sin management. Isn't that it? Like, okay, it's either knowing more things or sin management. If I sort of control my big three, then that means I'm growing in my faith. No, are you being washed and renewed by the Holy Spirit? Are you being molded into the image of Christ in ways like they come out of nothing but humble dependence on God that you couldn't do it yourself? This is all that we're taught. We're taught this sort of self sustaining TED Talk version of Christianity. And here's what I want to tell you that's not the faith of the Gospels. It's not the faith of Acts. It's not the faith of the New Testament. 
The New, like the New Testament faith is simply this, that God is alive. He is moving among his people. He is healing the sick. He is raising the dead. He is prophesying. He is speaking in tongues. He is anointing teaching. He is transforming dead hearts to life. That is the New Testament. An expectation of anything but that is watered down, hollow, and incomplete. So what do we do with this? Well, as we study spiritual gifts, the way that we define them and expect them, we gauge by what we read in the book. If I want an understanding of what a gift is, I look at how it's applied in Scripture. Rather than tradition and superstition, what I think it might be. What does the book say? What I see in Christ is my expectation for here. So going forward, we'll be defining each of the gifts and we'll be talking about what they mean and what they are and their, and their service within the body. But please hear me, okay? What God did then, he is doing now. And you can be part of it. And so on this Pentecost Sunday, how about we pray and invite the Holy Spirit to do just that? Now, I know, maybe this is brand new information for you and you're like, oh, this is real? Yeah. Receive it too. Spirit of God, we invite you into this place and we just love you and we thank you for loving us. You are for us. We approach you with the posture that you are working on our behalf, that you love us like crazy, that you want to do these things to glorify the name of Jesus. It is not a task for the Holy Spirit to glorify the name of Jesus. The Spirit of God, we invite you to do that through us. Here are our hands. We ask you to anoint them for your purposes. Use us to move the kingdom forward. We surrender to you. We ask you to do what you want to do through us. Let us operate with bold faith and expectation that what you did then, you want to do now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Bless you guys. You have a great Sunday. We'll see you next week.